Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. This may be the biggest and the best time we've ever brought the ancient and the contemporary together. Contemporary because the movie 2012 just premiered and went uh, nationwide last night. But ancient because from the ancient church, there's a church calendar in which this particular point of the year is reserved for talking about the last days. And not only across the nation, but across the world, churches that follow the ancient church calendar are talking about this very topic of the last days. So let's, let's get into it and open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 13. We're going to be talking about coming soon. Reach inside your program and pull out your uh, crosswalk notes. And let's read what Jesus had to say about his coming in Mark chapter 13. The disciples are with Jesus really in his last week. And they're meeting with him in the temple where he's doing some teaching. And on one of those days in the last week before he's to be crucified, he walks out of the temple and the disciples ask him to notice something. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So what do you think? If the end of the world were to come and the six billion people that live on planet earth would need to be prepared for that day. Would they be? Would we, who are Christ followers, who know about Jesus, who know about his promises of the last days and of judgment day itself, would we be ready for that day to come, for Jesus to return? That's really what this whole series coming soon is going to be about. It's going to be about learning what the last days were predicted to, to be like and How do we get ourselves ready for those last days and ultimately for Jesus' return? And I agree with the line. I agree wholeheartedly with the line on the clip that you just saw. If the world's governments had to prepare 6 billion people for the last days, what would they do? How would they do it? And the answer is right on. There is no way for the world's governments to prepare us. There is only one who can prepare us. There is only one set of words, one message that can get us ready 
for Jesus' second coming, and it's right here in the Bible. It is up to God and up to us as Christ's followers to prepare ourselves and to help prepare others for the day when this comes. You know, about two years ago, in 2007, in the Twin Cities, there was a major collapse of a bridge on I-35. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. But it's an intriguing story on many different levels because it's a story that tells us that if we're not careful, we can have blinders on and not see what's truly happening around us. I don't know if you know this, but going all the way back on that bridge on I-35 to 1990, already then engineers were starting to raise doubts about that bridge. A civil engineering department study from the University of Minnesota discovered already back then that stress cracks were beginning to develop in the cross girders of the bridge. The main trusses connected to those cross girders and resistance to motion, the bridge is supposed to have some flexibility to it, was already beginning to occur. And in 2001, the engineers came back 11 years later and noticed that the problem was not getting better. It was actually getting worse. In fact, the bridge itself was beginning to twist what the engineers call out-of-plane distortion, and it was noticeable. And yet, intriguingly, despite all the stress cracks and the distortion and the twisting that they could see, apparently their perspective was putting blinders on them because this is what they wrote. They said that despite the fact that the bridge is structurally deficient, it meets the minimum tolerable limits and should be left in place as it is. That despite a sufficiency rating that out of 100 rated the bridge at only 50. And the reason, the reason I bring this up is, is it possible sometimes that we, even we who are Christ followers and, and who have done our Bible search, could have a perspective about the end times that's not accurate, that gives us a set of blinders where we're saying, you know, I'm not sure about this coming soon stuff. I'm not sure about Jesus' second arrival. What do I really need to know about that? What do I really know about it? What does anyone know about it? And then there's confusion being sown. In other words, the important question for us today and any day is, do we believe our assumptions like those engineers were believing on that bridge, or do we believe what God says in the Bible? Do we believe his promises about that last day? What's your perspective? What do you believe about the end times? Not too long ago, a research organization that does a lot of research in Christian among Christians, an organization named Barna, went out and, and surveyed Americans about their beliefs about the end times. And there's some pretty interesting things to be found in there. For example, Barna discovered that only 40% of people actually believed in a national poll that the physical world would end someday. Four out of ten believed that it would end. Six out of ten believed that there would be no end. And it doesn't stop there. Now shift your focus to that four out of ten, the four out of ten that said, yes, someday the world will end. 
And out of that, four out of ten, again, only four out of ten said, we believe that God will have a hand in the end of the world. So there's a lot of confusion about the end times and about judgment day and is Jesus coming soon. The survey went on to show that even talking about will it end in my lifetime created a lot of confusion and only 15% could even think of the possibility that maybe this world could end right now. That's just barely more than one in 10. So how prepared are we if this is the perspective of the world around us? And a deeper question is, why is there so much confusion? Who do you think it is that wants us to be confused about the end times? Do you think it's God that wants us to have a lack of clarity about whether or not this world is going to come to an end? Do you think it's God that wants us to be asking questions and have doubts in our minds about the events that are going to lead up to the end of the world and the, and the second coming of his son, Jesus Christ? No. The one who wants to sow the seeds of confusion is Satan. And it is he who wants to cause us to get into the spiritual confusion and, and, and say to ourselves, well, I don't know. And I don't know how I'm going to know. And that's why this series, I think, is so important for this time, not just because there was a movie premiere, but because Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. That title, Coming Soon, is a direct quote from Jesus himself, taken from the book of Revelation. So while it's just fine with the devil to create confusion, it's not fine with Christ. And he is really clear about what's going to happen in the end times. Now open up your crosswalk notes, or pull them out. And I want you to look with, at this first passage with me. Because Christ sent the Holy Spirit to inspire Peter to write these words in his second letter. And look what it says here. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation, but they deliberately forget. Will you take just a moment and underline those two words? They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Well, if there is one thing clear in that passage, it is that Peter is saying, this world is coming to an end. And that we should make no mistakes about it. This present economy of things, this, this present physical world, the matter of this world will one day dissolve and collapse just like that bridge collapsed. And that is so clear from the, these words. And he points back to an event in the Old Testament where God had already done this before. And you see, to Peter, this was not surprising information at all because Peter had been 
with the disciples on the day when after Jesus' resurrection, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus had literally ascended up into the sky and was hidden by the clouds. And the disciples, their jaw dropped, and they stood there staring up there, not sure what to do next. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, two men standing in bright, white, shiny clothing confronted them and said, why are you still standing here staring up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you up into heaven will return in the very same way that he was taken from you. What you just saw in terms of Jesus going up into heaven, that will be reversed on the day of judgment. Now get going and let people know about this Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. So to Peter and the disciples, it was clear the last days are coming and Jesus will return a second time. And there was no bones about that, no debate about that. In fact, they had wondered about it even before they saw Jesus ascend into heaven and had associated Jesus coming with the last days. Go back to Mark chapter 13, the passage that we started with, and look at verse 4. Jesus is sitting with them across from the temple on the Mount of Olives, which, which sits in Jerusalem across a valley. They have this bird's eye view of the temple. And Jesus has just told them, look, these stones, not one of them is going is, is to be left on another And they say to him, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? In fact, if you look in Matthew 24, where this same event is is listed, and I put this in your notes, Matthew gives us a little more detail about that question. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They knew. That when Jesus said, not one stone here is going to be left on another, that is the end of time. Or at least the beginning of the end of time. And so they ask Jesus this question. Not only because prophecy intrigues them, but also because they know the importance of Jesus' second return where redemption will be made tangible. And isn't that an awesome thought? You see, when the disciples were asking, they weren't afraid. They knew that when Jesus returned, the redemption would be coming with them. The, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness that Christ had won for them, their adoption as God's children brought along with it an eternal inheritance. And they knew that when Jesus came back that second time, he would be bringing this eternal inheritance of God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. And they were excited about that. When is this going to happen? When will we get to enjoy your eternal kingdom, your true kingdom where sin is gone and tears are no more and we can live with you forever, enjoy your presence and your blessings one day after another. It's going to be amazing, Jesus. When are these things going to happen? And isn't it awesome for us too? I mean, isn't it life-changing to know that the redemption, the, the purchase price of his own life, Jesus being crucified in our place, 
Jesus raising, being raised from the, from the tomb as the first fruits of all of us who will one day rise from the grave. Isn't it amazing to us too to know that one day when this present earth with all of its sin, when it dissolves and collapses, there will be a new heavens and a new earth to be put in its place. And all those who through Christ have received God's forgiveness, who through the power of the Holy Spirit have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, are going to receive as God's children that inheritance. It is going to be an amazing, amazing moment. That thought changes everything about this life, changes how we interact with our neighbor, changes how we interact in our families and with our loved ones, changes how we talk to one another. Last Sunday, I was on a flight to Milwaukee, and the plane, the the flight was really crowded. And uh, I happened to be seated next to an Indian couple. And they have only been in the, the States for three years, had lived in Portland, Oregon, and were moving to the Milwaukee area. And we struck up a conversation on the flight. Isn't it interesting that on flights you often talk about spiritual things? Maybe there's something about flying in a tin can, you know, at 30,000 feet that gets you thinking about spiritual things. I don't know. But I found out that this couple was Hindu. And yet, the, the young man in his late 20s had been raised in a very rural village where the only school in his village was one that had been run by Roman Catholic fathers. And so as we began to talk, he told me that he was familiar with a lot of Christian teaching, of course, from a Roman Catholic uh, doctrinal point of view, but he knew a lot about Christ, and he talked about how he prayed and how in many ways, though he was a Hindu, those years meant a lot to him. And God did kind of an amazing thing. As we continued to talk with one another, Venkata was his name and Bindu, his wife. We, we free-ranged over all kinds of things. He said, I don't know why, but I'm, I, I just feel like I want to ask you, do you know of any churches in Milwaukee? And I said, well, it's probably pretty natural you'd ask me that. I'm a pastor after all. And it so happens that I do know of a church in the Milwaukee area. I didn't tell him that uh, our church body is called the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. We'll leave that for later. But I have a really good friend who's a classmate. And he has a church no more than 20 minutes away from where Venkata and Bindu are settling down. When we meet people who don't know Jesus, and we know that we're in the last days, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment, does it not change how we interact with people and how much and how urgently we want them to know that Jesus is their Lord too and their Savior too? So often when we shove out of our minds the fact that we're in the last days and that Jesus is returning, and despite only 15% believing it, he could come in our lifetime? Does that not change everything about how we live our lives now? 
And so the very first truth I want to get all of us to get out of today's message from Mark chapter 13 is is this simple truth. Because Jesus promised it, and because it is real and true, and because it changes the way I live today, Jesus wants me to believe in the end of the world. He wants you to know that that end of the world is coming and it is real. Now, as we go into this series, coming soon, I want to tell you why Jesus says I am coming soon. There's a lot of questions about what that phrase, the end times, means. But I can tell you whether you look in Old Testament prophecy, if you watch the way Jesus talks, if you look at the epistles of Paul and Peter and John, one thing becomes clear that the Bible's definition of the end times is the here and now. And that the end times, by the Bible's definition, actually began 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died, and when he rose, and when he ascended to heaven. As those disciples watched Jesus rise, as reported in Acts chapter 1, they were witnessing the beginning of the end. And this is clear throughout the Bible. You'll see it also in Mark chapter 13. And the last day of that period is when Jesus comes in judgment on the very last day. So what that means for you and me is we're not looking for end times to come maybe five years from now or 25 or 50 or 100. We're in the last times. And Jesus may return at any point. We need to be aware of that. Go back to the verse that we read from Peter just a moment ago. Go back to that and look at that in your, in your crosswalk notes. Notice what it says. Notice how Peter draws their mind back. Ever since our fathers died, he says, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. These are people just deliberately forgetting, poo-pooing the idea of an end time. And look at what Peter says. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And do you know that Jesus references that event? He does in Matthew chapter 24. And we had those words up earlier during the confession of sins. Let me just recall them for you. We won't put them up, but... Listen to how Jesus talks about the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day that Noah entered the ark, they were deliberately forgetting God's warnings. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That, now here's the scary line, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. As people did not believe in the days of Noah, Jesus says, they will not believe when I come back. What a frightening thought that is, that there would be as many people destroyed in the days of the flood and at Jesus' second coming, a very similar thing. And because 
of sin and wickedness that blinds our eyes. In fact, the people of, of Noah's time, listen to the description of them. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and how every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's God's description of those people. Every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. And do you know how that hurt God's heart? Do you know how that troubled God that the very people that he had made for himself were rebelling and rejecting him and hurting themselves by their sin? Genesis 6, 6 goes on to say, the Lord was grieved. He was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And now I want you to look at a description from Revelation chapter 9 that I put in your crosswalk notes. And you'll see that the coming of Jesus is going to present a very similar scenario. It's not that this is what God wants. Revelation 8, 6 says God is going to send trumpet blasts of warning events to try to shock people into the realization that the end is coming. The second return is here. In Revelation 8, 6, we read, Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. And then it goes on to talk about all these events that Jesus talked about. Those are to be God's trumpet blasts to say, Wake up, it's coming. These are the last days. But look at what it says in Revelation 9. Despite those trumpet blasts of warning, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Despite all the warnings, despite God's heart being hurt, despite God coming after them with his grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, the revelation picture of the end times is people will still not change their hearts and their minds and come to God. So how are we going to recognize the signs? Because we are a group of people that the Holy Spirit has touched through the word, through the sacraments of Holy Communion and Baptism, the Holy Spirit has caused repentance to take place and a changing of heart and mind. Are you ready? And how will you know when the end is really getting close? Well, it's interesting because the very first sign, what I wrote down in your crosswalk notes, is the proto-sign of the end times is something that happened 2,000 years ago. Remember those disciples walking out of that building and seeing those massive stones and saying, can you imagine? This is amazing. And, and these, were, these were stones, some of them as long as 80 feet, massive white stones. The disciples looking at them could not imagine that they would ever fall down. It had taken 86 years for the temple to be completely built. 
So when Jesus said, look, not one of these stones is going to be left on another, they knew that that had to mean the beginning of the end. And the fulfillment of what Jesus said happened in 70 A.D. The Roman soldiers under the general Titus, who would later become the emperor, marched in with his troops and leveled that temple and demolished it so thoroughly that today, even after many archaeological diggings, we are unable to determine what the footprint of Herod's temple was. We can't even figure out where the foundations of it were. And on the place where God's temple stood, of course, we know now there's a Muslim temple instead. All fulfillment of what God had said would happen as the sign of the beginning of the end. And then God says, then God says, I will, I will give you other signs. There will be other trumpet blasts. Some of them, he says, will be spiritual signs. You'll begin to see deceivers, false prophets, false messiahs saying, I'm the savior, I'm the messiah. And you'll see political signs, wars and rumors of wars, nations rising up against nations and one kingdom against another. And you'll see signs in the environment, famines and earthquakes taking place in, vari- taking place in various areas of the world. And if you missed some of those because I went through it, just go back to Mark 13. They're all listed right there in the passage that I read in the beginning. Every one of those signs, Jesus says, here's what you have to watch for. Now, what does that tell you? The temple is demolished. Deceivers and false prophets, well, we've seen those. Signs of wars, rumors, Political turmoil, it's all around us. The environmental signs, earthquakes, famines. Every year we hear about new earthquakes and famines. What this is telling us is there's the trumpet blast. Know that Christ is coming soon. So here's our second point. As redeemed children of God, we need to be aware of these signs. Jesus wants me to recognize the signs of the end. And I'm going to reiterate this point. It it does not mean the same thing for us as it does for an unbeliever. This is a sign that our redemption is drawing near. That the eternal inheritance of heaven that Christ won for us, it's ours and it's going to be tangibly and really and physically ours one day. And that will be an amazing day. Will frightful things come in the lead up to that? Yes. But when we know that these are signs that Christ, our Savior, is returning, it puts a whole new cast and a whole new twist on it. Well, I don't know how many of you got to the premiere of 2012 already last night. Maybe a couple of you did. I see some did. You've probably at least seen the trailers on television, and there are some pretty heavy spoilers in there about what the movie is ultimately about. And what I've learned about it in studying it is that it's really based on a Mayan calendar, and that actually there's a whole subculture that's developed 
above and beyond the movie of people that believe that the world is truly going to end in 2012. If you do a Google search on 2012, you'll begin to see how widespread the idea has become that 2012, in fact, December 21st, 2012, is going to be the end of the world. So what about that? I mean, after all, we've got some pretty big experts Lawrence Joseph, author of Apocalypse 2012, was interviewed recently on ABC News, and he says the Mayans had a sense of timing. What I believe about the Maya was that they were really good at knowing when the end of the world is going to come. They might not have been so good, he says, at saying what's going to happen, but I believe they're predicting accurately when the end of the world is going to come. It's a little scary to think about that, isn't it? And yet you will, if you do a Bible search instead of a Google search, be reminded that Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour. And he says, not even I know it standing here before you, but only my Father in heaven. The Bible says, that day will come like a thief in the night without any warning to us. And we're going to talk a lot more about the when in a future message. But I want you to be assured that if, if you go to that movie, I want you to enjoy it as fiction. And enjoy the ride, but do not allow this movie to get you thinking, oh, maybe Maybe the last day really is going to be December 21st, 2012. The Bible is really clear on this point. And what it is even more clear about is that this will be a day when Jesus will return completely different from the first time he arrived. The first time he came as Jesus, humble, lowly. He was born in a manger. And he humbled himself, the Bible says, even to the point of going to the cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven. This time is completely another. This time he comes in power and might and great glory as the king. And as we heard from the passages during our confession of sins, he comes to judge the earth, to separate those who believe from those who don't believe, to take those who do believe into everlasting salvation and to leave those who do not believe respectfully where they want to be. Those who have said, God, I don't want to know you. I don't want you to be part of of my life. Jesus says, I love you, but I respect you enough to give what you've asked for, to give you what you've asked for for eternity, and they will depart from Jesus forever. It's painful to think about. And yet, that's exactly the way the Bible talks about it. And here's our final point. For us, this is going to be a time of Jesus coming in triumph. And he wants me to, to be certain that I will share that triumph as a child of God through Christ. Those of us who follow Jesus will be triumphant along with Jesus. Mark thirteen twenty six says, At that time... Men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And in the book of Revelation, it just underlines the point all the more 
And one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's talking about Jesus, Jesus, the root of David. He has triumphed. So do you feel prepared? Are you ready for these last days that are upon us? You know, as scary as some of the things Jesus told us this morning might seem, I want to make one final point. As painful as the last days might be, and there's going to be some pain involved, you'll see that in future messages, all of this is pain with a purpose. Notice what Jesus says in Mark 13. He says, these things must happen. And right next to it, he says, do not be alarmed. These things must happen tells us this is all part of God's plan. And it's a loving plan for you and me. These things must happen. It's part of a plan that has a purpose at the end. And he says, a beautiful metaphor for this is birth pains. And at least 50% of us here know that that is pain with a beautiful purpose at the end, right? And yes, it's painful, agonizing even, to be going through birth pains. But when you hold that little baby in your arms at the end, the pain completely dissolves in the purpose of what's happened. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples and us today. We may go through birth pains as we watch the last days happen. But it all has the glorious purpose of taking this heavens and this earth away so that a beautiful new heavens and a new earth can be our inheritance through faith in Jesus Christ. What do you believe? I hope you believe in the grace of God and his forgiveness and mercy that says, here's my gift to you. Eternity, a new heavens, a new earth, Eden restored because of my son, Jesus Christ. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. Examine your beliefs. Maybe it seems to you like the end will never come. Please don't deliberately forget God's record of keeping his promises. As the flood came, Jesus will return. He assures us of this. And then secondly, see the signs. And let each sign you see, whether it's environmental signs or political signs or whatever the sign might be, let each sign be a reminder of the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ and an encouragement to live, not in fear of the last days, but in anticipation of that new heavens and that new earth. We're ready, aren't we, for the birth of that new heavens and earth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for me. I recognize that as a sinful person, as one who has committed sins of thought and word and deed, I don't, I haven't done a thing to deserve this eternal inheritance that you have planned for me. But your grace is amazing. You forgive my sins. You show me mercy. And you call me to be your child. Lord, strengthen my faith today.
to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior and to wait expectantly for the, the return that he promises. Teach me not to fear as the signs of the end times develop, but to wait expectantly for your return, knowing that my inheritance, that gift that I have from you, will come along with Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.